0: And please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We come to a new section in 1 Samuel where the people determined to choose a king. Evidently, God isn't enough. Oh, eight through ten-year-olds, if you'd like, you can go to your class now. All right. Yeah. You know the drill. we come to a section that I'm calling The King the People Choose. So we're going to learn a little bit about Saul and this passage this morning, 1 Samuel 8, is the story about the people determining that they need a human king. I've entitled this message, The Path to Rejecting God. The Path to Rejecting God. You'll see this path get marched down by the people of Israel here in chapter 8. And it reminds me of um, what's Kind of been happening for a couple of years now, um, there's a term that's, that's been, been been made known. It's called deconstructing. It's this idea that kids or people who grow up in church, uh, they're normally responding to some bad things they've seen in church or bad things they've seen other Christians do, and so they not only rejected the church, but they reject Christ Himself because of the bad things that have happened and that the, the, the phrase or the term given to that is deconstruction. Um, they they quote-unquote leave the faith. We, we know that the Bible teaches that once a person is actually in the faith, they never leave the faith, but people who have appeared as if they were in the faith may leave the faith. But that's a sad reality of some things that are happening now. And, and I say that it's sad. It's sad that people would um, see things that happen that other Christians do and, and fail to then trust the Lord after that. But it's also sad because the things they see in many cases, not in all, but in many cases are really bad and harmful. I mean, I just read a list of sins in Second Timothy 3 a few minutes ago, and one of those sins is that men will be abusive. And a lot of people respond and reject the church and reject Christ because they've seen people in His name abuse them. And so, that's not a reason to reject Christ or His church, but it is a sad reality that they experience. So, our heart goes out to people who have experienced those things. Some of you are people who have experienced some of those things. Um, So, it is a sad reality that there have been problems in the church ever since Acts 2, but the response is to trust in God and not in man, to trust in God's ways, to throw yourself on into His kindness and trustworthiness. Uh, But in this passage, we see a people responding to something bad, truly bad in Israel, poor leadership, but they go a different way. Instead of trusting in God to deal with that, they determine to fix this problem on their own, and that's the problem here. So, this passage will show us Israel's rejection of God's leadership uh, I'm going to outline it in this way, three markers on the path toward the rejection of God, three markers. So, they're walking down this road with God, and here's the first marker. Uh, that th- There's corrupt leadership, there's a problem, and, and they respond rightly to that. They-, they acknowledge that there's a problem, but then as they go down the path, their response to that is, is, is wrong. Here's the first marker, uh, rejection with God starts with a right concern. Here's what I mean by that. The people of God are going to see corrupt judges. Interestingly, they're Samuel's own sons. They're going to see corrupt judges, and so they're concerned about that. Samuel himself is getting old. Samuel's not going to be there forever to judge them, to speak on behalf of the Lord to them. So they see a right problem. Samuel's getting old. His children are are corrupt, and so that's where the rejection could, could maybe come as a temptation. So, there's a problem, but the question really is what do they do about it? So, let's notice the right concern they have, verses 1 through 3. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, the south, in the south. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. When you when you think of two sons in Israel, two sons governing in Israel, what do you think of so far in First Samuel? You, you think back to Hophni and Phinehas, right? And so here the author gives us um, Samuel, the, 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 so far the hero of the story in many ways, the one that God raised up. The, the, the author gives us a look into his own family, and it's not much better than Eli's, is it? So we've got this great uh, savior figure Savior little S Samuel savior for the nation in a sense and now his sons that come in his line they're they're a problem too just like Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas these sons did not walk in Samuel's ways verse 3 but they turned aside after gain so they they led Israel for their own sake they didn't lead Israel for the sake of the Lord they didn't lead Israel for the sake of the people they led Israel for the sake of their own gain, or at least the people in the region of Beersheba, they took bribes and perverted justice. I'll remind you that judges often uh, oversaw disputes among different groups of people, and one of the things they would often deal with is financial matters. They would evidently take bribes and they would pervert justice. They would decide, they would make the wrong decision in a case because, so that, it, so as to benefit themselves. That's what characterized their leadership. So, the people come to Samuel with a right concern. You're old, you're not going to live forever, and your sons are corrupt. That's a right concern. That's a good start. In fact, they're highlighting what God has already given to them in the book of Deuteronomy, these provisions against uh, perverted justice. Deuteronomy 16, 19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Well, Samuel's sons are clearly disobeying the law. They're disobeying God and His provisions for what righteous leadership is supposed to look like. So, God has commanded judges and officers to be impartial, but these sons of Samuel are not. So, again, you look at some of today's deconstructing stories or people responding to abuses in the church, and, and again, not in every case, but, but in many cases, they're right. There have been problems of legalistic abuse or sexual abuse from Christians and Christian leaders. It's all over the place, and it's good to acknowledge as the people of God, those things have existed and those things are wrong. So our heart wants to go out, again, to people that have had a misunderstanding of who God is because of how His people have responded, or people claiming to be His people have responded. So, this concern or this passage starts with a right concern. There is a need for new leadership, but the problem and the turning away from God happens in how they seek to bring that about. That's the problem. The people take matters into their own hands, look secondly the second mark of on the path toward rejecting God, it's this, it's a fearful attempt to control. A fearful attempt to control, verses 4 through 9, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, his hometown, and said to him, Behold, listen, you are old. It's a nice way to put it, just straight to the point, all right? Didn't say you're getting up there in years, you're no spring chicken. Just Behold, listen, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So you see what's happening here? The people are responding to old leadership and corrupt leadership and notice that phrase, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. That sentence right there is an insight into why this is a wrong plan. Over and over again, the warnings have been given to, to this people and the people that came before them, their family members and ancestors before them. Don't, don't look at other nations and say, we want to be like that. You are to be different. You are to be wholly separate, different from other nations. You are to look at God as your king. Don't, don't look to other nations and what they do or what they have or they, how they solve their problems or how they provide security. Don't do that. But here we hear the people say, appoint for us a king like all the other nations, a king to judge or govern us like all the other nations. There's part of the problem. I say part, we'll see the other part of the problem soon. But the thing displeased Samuel, the the leader of God's people, is criticized. He takes it upon himself, but the Lord kind of sets him straight there and says, no, 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 this isn't about their rebelling against you or being critical of you. They're opposing me. They've not rejected you but they've rejected me. It's as if Samuel is the waiter and the people at the table are disgusted with the food and so they yell at the waiter. The waiter just brought the food. Their problem is with the chef. So Samuel's just the messenger. These people's problem is with God himself. God himself has overseen this nation and right now they don't think he's doing a good job. So they want a king just like all the other nations have. Other nations are ruled by other gods. This is a form of rejecting God or the path toward rejecting God. They're rejecting God and not so much Samuel, but it is both, and God makes that very clear to Samuel, his, servants, his servant. Um, sometimes people think, That Israel was wrong in asking for a king. It's more than that. See, God knew that Israel would have a king one day. The the, the provisions for a king are actually laid out in Deuteronomy 17. It's not just that they were asking for a king. That's not the big problem. In fact, Hannah, remember Hannah's prayer? She she talks about um, the king that God would use. Well, they didn't have a king yet. So, even Hannah knew that there'd be a king one day. The problem isn't that they were asking for a king, the problem is that they were asking for a king to, so that they would be just like the other nations, secure like the other nations. That's a way of rejecting God. And the problem is that they were asking for a king because they were fearful that God wasn't going to care for them. They needed some other way to protect themselves. You say, where do you get that idea that they're fearful? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to 1 Samuel 12. 1 Samuel 12 is, is Samuel's farewell address to the nation. It's this speech that he gives to the people of Israel, and, and he's recounting the things that God has done for them. Notice 1 Samuel 12, verse 6. So, he, he's about to go off the scene, and he's recounting how God's been faithful to them and what their response has been. And he says this in 1 Samuel twelve six. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so see where he starts. He's saying, listen, people of Israel, the the Lord knows this to be true. Years ago, with with your fathers, with your ancestors, he appointed Moses and Aaron to lead them out of Egypt. So God, through human leaders, cared for this people, this precious people that he had chosen, and he brought them up out of Egypt. Verse 7. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So, listen, I want to tell you how faithful God has been to you. Not just to you, but to your ancestors before you. Verse 8. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. The Lord responded to that cry. "...who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place." So you cried out because you were being oppressed by the Egyptians, and the Lord heard those cries. And he sent Moses and Aaron to bring you up into this land that you live in right now. Notice verse 9. "...but they, your fathers, they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines." and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. So the Israelites suffered because they failed to trust in the Lord after he had been so gracious to them and so powerful for them. Notice verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord. That's the second time we've heard about them crying out. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hands of our enemies that we may serve you. So you hear that? So the people... Cry out to the Lord because they're oppressed by Egypt. The Lord hears, rescues them. Then they go after other gods, turn away from the Lord. They're disciplined, brought into exile. The Lord hears their cries after they cry out to him for mercy. The Lord hears their cries, and they, they're, they're simply saying, to the Lord, we want to serve you again. Please be gracious to us again. Verse 11, and the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel Samuel speaking of himself there, the Lord sent you judges and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. Now, don't look ahead, okay? Just stay with me. Don't ruin the surprise. (laughs) Samuel's recounting how the people have been in need, they've cried out, God's rescued them. The people have sinned, they've been in need again because they've been disciplined, they cry out, God rescues them. And the most recent Example he gave is the fact that they're now in peace. In the time of the judges, God brought about Samuel. They're at peace. Remember where we are here in 1 Samuel 8, the passage we're studying today? Previously, God had defeated the Philistines because the people confessed their sin against the Lord, trusted in Him, and what did He do in response? He defeated their enemies. So Samuel's saying, that's where you were. You repented, you were trusting, your enemies were defeated. And then verse 12, a threat came. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. So do you see why the people are asking for a king? They're at peace. They they trusted in God. He's going to deliver them. But all of a sudden, there's a threat. There's another king with his army coming to threaten us. This isn't enough. We need an actual king. That's the problem. It's not just that they asked for a king. It's that they were asking for different leadership, not God's leadership. They were asking for human leadership to protect them. When you think, now they don't know about Saul yet. They don't know about all of his failings. We're going to see all of his failings. But if you've been a Christian for any time, or you know the Bible, or you know King Saul, you know he's not a hero. He's pathetic, actually. Just from what we know now, ahead of time, before we even jump into Saul's life in the coming weeks, what we know now, they're, they're asking for someone like Saul versus God himself. That's the type of thing they're doing. We, we, need, a, we need a man to raise a military force for us, they say, as they're, as they're really rejecting the God who split the sea. And then swallowed up the enemies following their ancestors. They're rejecting the God that's miraculously saved them generation after generation. That's who they're rejecting. So, I say that the problem isn't just that they're asking for a king. It's why are they asking for a king? Because they don't trust in God to protect them. They need a man to protect them. Yikes. So, there's this fear that they have, and they now seek to control how leadership happens in Israel. It's a fearful attempt at control. Back to 1 Samuel chapter eight, picking up again in verse eight, God says that they've rejected him from being king over them. In verse eight, according to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day. So this has been a repeated pattern. I brought them up and they keep rejecting me. I then rescue them and they reject me again. According to all the deeds that I have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you, Samuel. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Notice two times in God's response to Samuel, he says, do what they say, obey their voice, do what they say. We've stated this a number of times because it happens all throughout Scripture. It's a very scary thing to rebel against God and to get what you want. These people are rebelling against God and God says, obey them, let them have what they want, obey their voice, let them have what they want. Notice the wrong way to respond to a real problem, a real problem, Samuel's old, there's corrupt leadership, there's a wrong way to respond to that. The right way, trust God and what He has set up, the wrong way go around God's solutions because we're not too comfortable with those, do our own thing. A fearful attempt to control the situation. This is where, again, your heart breaks for those who've experienced painful things in the church, really breaks for those people. The right response isn't to leave the church at large. The church is God's means for growing a people and the fact that some of them are corrupt and teach false things and are heavy-handed and abusive and legalistic isn't a reason to leave all churches. There are faithful churches. God has seen to it to give faithful churches. Not perfect, I didn't say perfect. I said faithful. This is God's plan for how He raises up and shapes and matures His people through the church. So this is a wrong way to try to deal with a real problem, and the people do it here. I also want you to recognize this recognize that when we fear things, we try to control situations. Please consider this. This happens all the time in families, in church, in society. You fear something, so you try to control the people around you so that your fears are alleviated. That's what they're doing here. They're afraid of a a, a coming king of another people who will invade them, They're afraid of not having sound leadership, and so they go around what Yahweh says, around what the Lord has said, and they seek to control the situation themselves. Recognize that when we fear, we try to control the situation, and that's not always the best thing to do. So what are you trying to control? Let's learn from their mistakes here. Is there anything that you are trying to control because you're fearful? We have fears about finances, our health, our society's failure to understand what's really going on, our family's direction. We fear a particular matter in the church. We fear the government's overreach. We fear our spouse's walk with the Lord. We have fears about our employer's decisions. And so, we pray and obey and leave it in the hands of the Lord. Nope we go a different route. So, we pressure the people around us to read this, do this, think this, go here, go there, stop this, start this. All the while, we're trying to control people so that our fears are alleviated rather than trusting that the Lord is sovereign in this decision and He will work out His purposes. Fear controls now, I'm not saying activity is a problem, writing things to persuade people or making something known. I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm saying activity with, based on fear is a problem, and activity without prayer and trusting in the Lord is a problem. So, is your heart a fearful heart, and do you find yourself trying to control your spouse, your friends, your church, your government, your everything, because you need your fears alleviated? God's on His throne. You can rest there. i also highlight that fearful people are hard to be around. Because when they are fearful, they try to control the people around them. And when the people around them don't respond the way they want, there's a problem in the relationship. So be careful of what you fear and be careful of how it can affect the relationships around you. A lot, a lot of relationships have been splintered, fractured, they're sick, they're not doing well because one or both parties are fearful and trying to control the other. The people of God here are afraid, so they try to to come up with a human solution when if they simply trust in their king who loves them, they will be okay. Okay. Doesn't mean that, no, that they'll be problem-free, but they will be okay. Give you some examples of fear attempting to control just, just while we're here, okay? Just to help, because I do believe this is a big issue today. Um, we, we want the kids to be here at Christmas. We've, we've retired to Prescott. The kids live in Tennessee. We want them here, but they might go to, to our son's wife's parents' house. So we're just afraid of that. We're afraid of losing contact with the grandkids. We're afraid of losing relationship with our kids. We're afraid of not having all the joy that we could have at Christmas. And so spouse, you need to go fix up the guest room, send them pictures about what it looks like, buy tickets to all the things around here so that they want to come. And we just fret. And so for six months, it's just, we're just this ball of fear. And then we impose that on other people around us to alleviate these fears and fractures stress, all because of a fear. Now, it's not a bad thing to want your kids there at Christmas. That's great. And if it works out, it works out. But do you see how quickly fear can dominate our lives and then be projected onto the people around us and cause chaos? That's what's happening here. I'll give, I'll give you a negative, exa- negative example from my own life. Uh, after the the economy began struggling there in 2007, 2008. Uh, I was working at my previous church, Grace Community, in L.A., and I wasn't a pastor yet. I, was, I just had a different job, and um, I got word that my job might be the ones they had to cut, one of the ones they had to cut. And, and I will never forget that day. It's such a low point in my Christian life. I was so afraid of that. New seminary student, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, um, I don't even know why I said that. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, we, whatever that means, we didn't have a lot, okay? And so fear comes. And I just heard someone say that your job could be in jeopardy. So I called the executive pastor, who is a friend of mine. I called other people who could do something about the problem. And I'll never forget, I got in my car, left work to save my job at work, left work and just drove around talking on the phone and trying to control the situation. Uh, I was on the phone so long that I came back to the church, and I was still on the phone. I walked about a block away from the church, and I still remember the church that I was, or the the street that I was on making this phone call, and I was talking to people who could maybe fix this so I wouldn't lose my job. It didn't take about 24 hours for the Lord to convict me of fear. Uh, He's, we've never gone without a meal. We've never gone without a home. But I think back to that time, and I was not trusting in Him. I was trying to control the situation, fix the situation, and then imposing things onto other people that they should do so that my fears were relieved. How wonderful it would have been to hear, your job may be one of the ones that are gone, and to simply right there, say, Lord, you're my Father. You love me. You love Michelle. You love the boys. You'll provide for us. I trust you. And then back to work. So, I just want you to see that this idea that Israel's struggling with, they're afraid of of corrupt leadership, they're afraid of uh, of this other king coming and taking their land, they're afraid, and so they try to control, and in in doing that, they're opposing the plan of God, the rule of God, the person of God. We can all do that. So, rejection of God starts with a right concern, But then there's, secondly, a fearful attempt to control. Marker number three on this path toward rejecting God God, is a refusal to listen, a refusal to listen to God. Notice that God said to Samuel at the end of verse 9, Now then obey their voice, and only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel, do what they say, but listen, Warn them. This is not gonna go the way they think it's gonna go. You cannot oppose God and thrive, is a good lesson to know here. God says, give them what they want, but warn them. It is interesting, so side note, can okay, I'm pulling the car over, a little side note. In First Samuel, you see God telling people some hard things. Remember, uh, Samuel as a boy was, was told to tell Eli hey, God's coming after you and your sons. He's gonna gonna judge them. He's gonna end this thing, and it's not gonna be pretty. And, And what does Samuel do? He actually tells Eli what God has said. He's faithful to deliver the bad news. Here, Samuel's called to give bad news. He's faithful to deliver it. Later on, you'll see from Saul, he's supposed to give some bad news, and he doesn't do it. So one of the things you can discern is faithful leadership says what needs to be said sometimes, even if it's not going to be received with open arms. It just says what's true and what needs to be understood from the Lord Himself. Okay, enough of the side note, but I think that's important to see. Um, The people need to be warned. They're going to rebel against God. They're they're rebelling against God, and God tells Samuel, you warn them about what this is going to look like, okay? Okay. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants or his leaders. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The Lord's telling Samuel, tell them what this is going to be like. If you want a king, and remember kings, so, so Samuel's a prophet and a judge. They didn't come, Samuel didn't come with a military force. Kings led in battle is what kings did. Okay, so kings raised up military forces. So the people want a king. They want a military force. So he's saying, if you want a king, if you want a military force, you're going to have to pay for it, and you are going to pay for it. He's going to take things that you own. He's going to take people that are yours, sons and daughters. He's going to take land that you own. And so the understanding here is when they're asking for something, they're going to have to pay for it, but it's more than that. He's going to take more than he should also. And in Deuteronomy 17, again, the prescriptions for what a king should be, the king was not supposed to be someone of great wealth, but here kings are going to take, and we see that come in Israel's history. They want a king, their first one comes, and he's Saul. Well, kings that come after him, they start taking from the people, lining their own pockets, abusing the people they're meant to serve, and God is prophesying that right now through Samuel. Okay, I'll let you have what you want, but you're not going to like it. These are the consequences of going against my rule and trusting in my care for you. And he says there at the end in verse 18, in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. Again, be careful what you wish for, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And the thing to understand here is, does this mean there's no forgiveness with God? No, it doesn't mean that. We see all throughout Israel's history that as they cry out in repentance, he rescues them. So, there is forgiveness. What this is saying, if you sin against the Lord, you are going to feel the consequences of your sin. You will have forgiveness, but you'll still have to live with the consequences. That's the thing to understand here. And the Lord's warning them of that. Verse 19, so the people said, oh my goodness, we don't want that. We trust you, God. No. Verse 19, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, which is really the voice of God, right? Samuel being his mouthpiece. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, govern us, and go out before us and fight our battles. There you go. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of being overtaken, So their security is going to be found in a king who's a military figure. That's what they need. They know that's what they need. Verse 21, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Samuel prayed again to the Lord. What's the Lord's answer? You've already heard it twice. You'll hear it again. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Give them what they want. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city okay, we're done here. That's the request of the people. So, they see, a, they see a problem, a real problem, leadership in Israel. They go about trying to alleviate that problem in a wrong way, in a way that dishonors the Lord, that fails to trust in Him. They seek their own desires, and then Lord warns them about that, but they refuse to listen. God provided a warning through His servant Samuel, and they refused to listen. This happens every day in our lives. There are warnings, you know, do not enter. <laughs> Sign is a warning, don't enter. Bad things can happen if you enter. Uh, parents give warnings to kids. Uh, recently, I brought one of my sons swimming and we were at this public pool and uh, there, it was. part of the pool was two and a half feet deep. I mean, really shadow, meant to just kind of sit in, walk around and out of nowhere, out of the corner of my eye, I see a dad running, okay? And he's running outside the pool, running, and he does a flip, a side flip, kind of somehow, so I'm not going to try. I'll pull something, okay? Does a side flip, and he, like he's showing off for his kids. He's showing them this type, type of flip he can do, and, and he was doing it, like I, I caught him just as he started, and he, the last thing he did was look at the lifeguard, Lifeguard wasn't looking. And he ran and did this flip and he hit. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking. He went in the pool and he he kind of sits up, because that's that's as high as it was. Sits up and he goes, Ah. And I, I'm just watching this thing unfold. And I'm you're concerned for him, but he appeared to be like moving, so that was okay. He kind of goes over to his wife on the side of the pool, and I see him kind of mouth the words, my tailbone. And it's like, man. You knew not to do that. I don't know what you were thinking, but there's a reason that he looked at the lifeguard. And when the lifeguard wasn't looking, he did that. So I, I say that not to be funny, but it's in our hearts to, ah, eh, it's not going to be that bad. No, it is going to be that bad. Well, here, the Lord tells Samuel, tell them all, I mean, he didn't just say, hey, you want a king? He's not going to be as great as you think he is. He lays out, your, your daughters will be perfumers. He'll take your land. I mean, he's very specific here. He's not just saying generally, I don't think this will work. He's very specific, and they're not going to hear it. This can even be a temptation of the people of God today. The Lord gives warnings. Don't do that. Don't say that type of thing. <clears throat> and we disregard the warnings as if God's not really going to give me the consequences for that. No, He will. He will. He's holy. And remember that His commands are for your good. So if you try to find good outside of His commands, He will make it known that that's not the good way to live. So whatever warnings the Lord's giving you, heed those warnings. God desires that we trust in Him and Him alone Refusing to listen does bring about suffering. Psalm 81 is actually a psalm that comments on this time period in Israel's history. Listen to Psalm 81. I'm the Lord your God. In this psalm, it's always fascinating to find in the psalms where the Lord starts speaking. A lot of it's David, but when the Lord starts speaking, you're like, oh my goodness, what's he going to say here? What's the Lord's take on all of this? Listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This is the Lord calling the people, don't trust in the other nations. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. I can't help but think of, you know, last week, some people we know maybe went out and were trick-or-treating, okay? Like, Like, kids, open the bags. You've come to the right house. Open the bags. Well, here, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over. That's, have what you want. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels, their own plans. Oh, that my people, listen to to the longing heart of God here, okay? Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. So, I don't want you to hear from 1 Samuel that God's like, oh, I'm going to teach you. like You're going to feel this thing. Huh? See, you shouldn't have done that. God, God demonstrates, God gives us language in the scriptures that, that show him as a concerned God. As a loving God. When his people reject him, he feels that. That, that, that's, That's the language that we're given. The Lord says in Psalm 81, Oh, that my people would listen to me. I would subdue their enemies. You need to think of God like that. That's why when we sin, and the New Testament gives the language of grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grieved over sin. This is not some cold indifferent God that we serve. There's a God who loves us and who the Scriptures say that we can displease and grieve. Think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So, do not reject what this good God says to His people. Listen to God. Oh, that my people would listen to me. I'll end with this. If you are here and You're one of the people that I've mentioned before that has experienced some things in at the hands of Christian churches or Christian people that you should not have experienced. I want to talk to you for a moment. Um, Maybe it's at the hands of a Christian pastor or just another Christian or a Christian parent. Um, I want to say some things to you and hopefully bring some comfort and maybe some guidance for you, the first thing I'd say is, um, you're right to be upset about those things. Sin should never be excused. Sin can be forgiven by God when it's repented of, but sin is not meant to be simply um, excused so that, so that the church doesn't get bad press, or excused because, you know, well, uncle's a pastor. You can't, you can't talk about what he did, that's wrong. So, your, your right anger at things like that is right, and we join you in that. God Himself says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. God doesn't gloss over sin. There is no sin ever committed that God will gloss over. He will punish the perpetrator or He'll punish His Son for it, but He will fully punish everything. So, God hates those things too. I'd also say this, God gives clear commands about parental authority and care for children. If you've been abused by parents in the past, it's not because God hasn't been clear to parents. And someone might say, well, what if if parents don't have a Bible? What if they don't see the clear commands in Scripture? Well, Romans 2 teaches us that every person has a conscience. God has put into the mind a conscience that says, I shouldn't do this to my kid. But why do people do that? Because they turn off their conscience, this gift that God gives, this governor that God gives, and they go about and they sin. But I want you to see that God gives clear commands and He gives a conscience to parents and those in authority. We say it all the time here, authority is meant to bless the people who are under it. That's what it should be doing. In whatever you've experienced growing up that was wrong and truly sinful, that should not have happened. Because authority is not meant to use or abuse, it's meant to serve. I'd also say this, God also gives warnings to spiritual leaders about their care for people. With the proliferation of social media and the internet, you, you hear a lot of um, stories about failures of leadership and it breaks your heart. You hear about pastors who abuse their leadership, threaten people, threaten to sue their people, actually sue people, which is an actual sin. You hear all sorts of abuse stories out there. Some of them are real. But I want you to know that God does give warnings to spiritual leaders who mistreat those under their care, and there will be a great judgment for them. Again, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord, Romans 12. I also want you to realize that God gives character qualifications for leaders in the Scripture. Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. God doesn't just say, I'm starting up a church, they're going to be leaders, go at it. No, no. no. Here's what those leaders should look like. And it's not just leaders. God, those character qualifications or those, those character matters are matters that all Christians should have. So, God has clearly done his work in providing the, the, the guardrails, the qualifications. God has, has spoken that this church, this family, this group, whatever it is, should bless the people who it's caring for, should, should rightly represent God. That's God's design. It's God's design. God is not to blame here. God himself, take it a step further, God Himself came to rescue those who suffered at the hands of spiritual abusers. That's one of the themes of the the life of Jesus. You You see a scandalized woman, scandalized because of her past, who trusts in Jesus, and she's abused and mocked and ridiculed by the leaders of Israel. And who does Jesus Christ side with? Them? No. Her. Think of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and Judas and the disciples criticizing her because of how much perfume she's wasting on his feet. And I love the words that he says. He says, leave her alone. That's what God is like. Leave her alone. God himself came in human flesh, died and rose again in your place, to forgive you of the sins that everyone has committed, you yourself. So you may have been abused also, but the Bible says all of us are sinners. All of us have been the objects of sin, and we've been the perpetrators of sin. So the good news is Christ cares for those who have suffered under sin. He also comes to give Himself to those who have committed sin, Christ is the Savior, Christ cares. That's why He came to the earth. We're about to celebrate that in in a month or so, or however long till Christmas. We're about to celebrate that soon. Jesus came to the world because the Father and the Son love the world, and they love those who are even sinners in the world, and they came to bring them a gift of reconciliation. So that's for you as well. So I'm urging you, if you've experienced this, if you've experienced something that's really wrong in the past, don't throw God's ways, don't throw God's character out the window and try to find hope and happiness in your own way. Trust in this God that the Scriptures speak of. He's good for the people who depend on Him. He will judge and rebuke those who cause harm, but He is good for those that come to Him to find their refuge. I'm I'm asking you to consider taking refuge in this God. If you want to read the Bible with someone, there are hundreds of people in this room who would read the Bible with you and study the character of God. If you want to ask questions about the character of God, there are people in this room that would answer questions, all answer questions. There are elders up here, Christians next to you, ask questions about the character of God. Don't throw away the good things that God has given. His church, His character, His love, His mercy, don't throw them away because of how someone sinned against you in the past, please, please go to the scriptures and find out who this God is. And he cares for people. He does. I'll end with this. I read it to you a little earlier. I just can't get these words of God out of my mind. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. God wants His people to listen to Him. Maybe 1100 years later or so, He sent His Son to the earth and He said this as His Son was on a mountain with three of His followers, He said, this is My beloved Son, listen to Him. So, God desires to be listened to, God has now spoken to us in His Son. Listen to His Son, Jesus. Find in Jesus mercy, find comfort, find restoration, find forgiveness, find joy, find what you need in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, there is a great temptation to go against Your design. There's a great temptation to think that we know better. I pray that You'd keep us from that make some aspect of Your character or many aspects of Your character beautiful to us today. Be trustworthy again in our eyes. For those of you who have trusted in our own ways, in our own plans, in our own hopes, I'm asking that You would be trustworthy in our eyes today. Be trustworthy again. You are good to Your people. You do faithfully lead as a good God. And so we pray that the hearts here today would know that. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.